Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Good morning, everybody. It's Marianne Bailey with the Hit Senior Podcast. And today, I am so excited because I reached out to Dan Salinger um, on TikTok. Uh, Dan is the caregiver of his father, and I wanted to find out from a family member caregiver side of things, what things are really like. Um, We see what what they want to show us on TikTok, which is quite a bit, uh, but I kind of wanted to pick Dan's brain about this. So Dan, welcome to the podcast. Well, good morning, Marianne, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And here I am to do the best I can to fill in all the blanks and answer whatever questions you have. So your father, Ed, correct? Hang, hang on one second. This is the typical interruption. I'm, I'm on a podcast. What can I do for you? Yeah. I know. I, I get something interesting to hear as soon as we're off, Marianne, but that's that, that's what we get. In, you know, in reality, caregiving is going to pop up. That's life. That's all good. Um, so your father's name is Ed, correct? Correct. And he is 90 years old? He is 90 and he will turn 91 in March, the end of March. So we're, he's real close to, uh, to that 91st birthday. Oh, wait a minute. March what? 23rd. No wait, That's my birthday. <laughs> well, you share your birthday with my dad. I'm birthday dad. buddies with your dad. How awesome is that? Well, he's third, 1932. I have a feeling you were sometime after that, but 1970. Uh, well, there you go. I mean, um, you're, I'm, I'm just, I was just a couple of years before you. So, uh, you look great for 1970. Let me tell you, you do not oh, look you. old. My God. All right. Well, that's, that's sweet of you. Thank you. My daughter's birthday was Saturday. She shares her birthday with my dad. She was born on his 60th birthday. So he continues, she continues to be his birthday gift every year. I get your only grandchild. That is awesome. And what, what a great coincidence. And we just had um, the same blessing. My, my youngest brother, Josh just had a baby and that baby shares a birthday with my sister, Carrie. So we, we just, we just experienced that this weekend. So shared birthdays are great. And, you know, it reduces on, you know, the number of the amount of cake you have to eat. You just, well, that could be good or bad. That was, it's good and bad, but depending on us trying to lose weight, But it's a good yeah. excuse to eat cake. So, right, I, and I'm with you. It's a double-edged sword, but yeah, we'll take we'll take whatever we get. I tried to get a birthday cake for my daughter. She says I don't like cake, and I'm like, since when? And whose daughter are you? Just I say, well, that's you know, I like cake, and I'm the parent, and I'm going to buy it. And since you don't like it, I'm going to buy the kind of cake that I like to eat. So okay, there you go. My, my mom used to always say, "Well, it's my birthday too. I gave birth to you," and I'm just like. I never quite understood that until I was the one in those shoes. So I messaged her like eight o'clock that night. I'm like 20, like, you know, 25 years ago today at this time, I was a major pain because of you just be aware. Yes. Yes. And and then, you know, probably for some time thereafter, there was a little bit of work as well. Um, but you know, you'll get the opportunity, Marianne, to return the favor and take care of your mom when that time comes. Right. Actually, I don't know about that. I don't know. She lives in in Florida and I'm not keen on moving back to Florida anytime soon. I grew up in Florida and my brother lives two or three doors down from her. 
And well, so I'm not sure like if my father passed away, like if my mom would move up here or if my brother would take on the burden or, you know, I don't know. I might have to like, you know, fly down there every couple months or so and hang out with her for a while. I, I don't know how that's going to work. So we'll just have to see from day to day um, what's necessary. And I'm guessing that that's what you do as well. Like every day um, I was listening the other day and you were saying like, you know, nothing is um, nothing's necessarily planned on a date. You just never know what kind of mood Ed's going to wake up in. Right. Uh, I, everything that you've just said from, from the beginning, life takes you down a road that you, you don't know where it's going to take you. And who knows what your situation will be like when that, when you're faced with those circumstances, life is so, uh, just likes to throw curveballs at you. And, I, you know, it's tough to predict tomorrow, much less next week. But um, jumping forward, yeah, my dad is, when, you, when you're taking care of someone with advanced dementia, you really never know what you're going to get every single day. Some days he may wake up. I'm going to move because there's noise over there. Um, some days you may get, uh, you know, him in really good spirits. You may have a smile on his face. Uh, when he gets up in the morning and, you know, he may crack a joke in the morning or, Hey, what are you doing up? Some days he's up, his hair's up and in a crazy mess. And where am I? And, you know, occasionally, sometimes it's, if it's really bad, he won't really even remember how we're related. I mean, he's never not recognized me, but, you know, the, the bottom line is I never know what I'm going to get every morning. And no, you know, take so, that back. I've seen a video where he did not, he thought you were somebody else. That happens. It's not common, <laughs> but it does happen. So every time, every morning, I'm sitting in my chair right now. I don't know if you can see it, but I moved to my chair where I sit every morning and I look at that door right there. And when I have him here, he typically it's sometime between seven and, and eight o'clock, he'll come on, his face will come wandering in and I look up and I don't know what I'm going to see or how he's going to be, if I'm going to have to jump up and deal with him, or if he's just going to be like, Hey, I'm just going to the bathroom. I'm going back to bed for a while. I don't know what's going to, what's, what's coming. So I always look with anticipation that door when he shows up and, and I'm happy when he's in, in a good way. Um, and sometimes I have to put down whatever I'm doing and stand up and give him what's called the morning fill in, which means dad, let me explain to you. you. You've got memory loss. That's why you're confused. You live with your kids. That's why you're here. This is my house. You live right here. Um, you have, your health is fine. You know, you, you, you're fine. You have plenty of money. You don't have to worry about money. You live with your kids. Um, would you like to get some breakfast or do you have any questions? And, you know, some days he'll, he's like, oh, all right, well, that's all right. Some days, he, you know, are we in Canada? Um, or are we in, in, where are we? And my dad, we're in, we're in Northern California. Oh, okay. So it, you really never know what you're going to get um, when you're dealing with, with someone with advanced dementia. You kind of take it as it goes. So when did you start noticing changes in your father? Like, when did you start realizing this is something we're really going to have to start addressing? Excellent question. So that there's two parts to that question. When did I first start noticing symptoms? A long time ago, maybe 10, 11 years ago. You know, at the beginning, you start noticing strange things like, uh, you know, my dad used to to come over here every day. He He used to live about 40 minutes away. He used to drive down. And, and spend the afternoons here. All of his kids were down here. So, or at least three of his kids, the local kids were down here. So he'd come down and have lunch with his kids and spend time with whoever was available every single day. And so a lot of times he'd end up at my house. When he, there was a room in my house that he would 
would go into some movie room with comfortable chairs and he'd go in and take a nap every single afternoon, sometimes for 15 minutes, sometimes for two, three hours, you know, depending on what was going on. This is back eight, nine years ago. And then one day he's walking in and he walks over to the room. He looks in and he says, is this new? Did you, you know, and, and it was like out of the blue and it was a true, you know, punch in the gut because you're not expecting that. And then something so absolutely, you know, out there, you know, that, that you just so unexpected and, you know, not, not a little sense, like not hey, uh, Adam, Mark, Dave, you know, that you, you expect the little things confusing your name or where did I put my wallet? No, this is, is this room new? That's a room he'd been in forever. And then maybe, you know, a few months later, you know, you kind of, you chalk that up a few months, maybe six months later, a year later, um, he's walking around with a check in his wallet and for a, a larger amount of money. And you know, my dad never walks around with 10, 15 bucks in his wallet. He has his whole life. Never, you know, never felt the need to carry money. And I see he's got a wall, a check in his wallet that was dated maybe a month. He'd gone, he'd gone in and closed out some bank account and was walking around with a cashier's check in his wallet for two months, just totally out of character. Um, things like that are, are the dead giveaway that you've, you've got a problem. And then, you know, then it would slowly progress. Maybe I'd be tracking him as he is um, driving in his car and see, hope, you know, he's turned the wrong way on a main street. He's now traveling the opposite direction from his house. I have to call him, dad, do you, where are you going? You know, oh, and then you, know, you kind of see the car stop and then turn around. You're just thinking, to yourself, oh, my God. And then it slowly progresses more. Fast forward, you know, five years we had moved him closer because obviously he couldn't make that drive. We moved him into our city and that he lived there for a, a good five years. You know, he was close enough that my brother or I would go see him every single day at lunch, keep him until dinner and then take him back to his house. And he would, he was, he was able to throw a healthy choice in the microwave and eat a salad and, and get along. And then lo and behold, one day he's, you know, he's kind of like, Oh, he's, he's rubbing his shoulders. He doesn't know what happened. We're looking at it, exploring. We see a bruise on his on the same side on the hip. Dad, what happened? Um, you know, I, I don't know. And that was the last straw. That day, out of the blue, unexpectedly, you know, I didn't wake up that morning thinking, "Wow, I'm gonna everything. My, my life is gonna change today." Right. But it did. You know, at that that was the day we realized he can't he can't live alone one more day because. What if he fell and he couldn't get up? Um, you know, we may not have discovered for 12 hours. And, you know, he could, it was just at that point, we had to make the decision, what are we going to do? And, you know, it's, there's no book of answers. And there's not like a magical uh, family meeting, you know, for everyone all around the, the country. Let's get together on a Zoom and decide what we're going to do with dad. And, you know, let's let's weigh the S option against that option against that option. And, you know, no, that's not the way it works. You got him. And it's like, Mark, what are we going to do? Um, well, the only option we had at that point was for him to move into Mark's house. And it was my brother, Mark. And that's what we did. And so we moved him in that day and everything changed. Of course, I had to, you know, step up and contribute to that, my time and energy to that. And then about six months later, um, when Mark was just pulling his hair out, dealing with my dad on a 24 seven basis, he needed a vacation. He went to my sister's house uh, in Vermont. She was living across the country at the time. She's now back, thankfully, and a big help. But he went there for a week, and I had my dad for a week. And I'm here with with my wife, and I've got kids here, a, a, a bigger house to deal with. And 
having him just having him for that one week, I realized that there's just no way that Mark can handle him by himself. It's just not going to happen. He's, he's, he's Mark is going to end up, you know, in, in worse shape than my dad. So we had to make a decision again. Does he go into a home? And I had a conversation with my wife and asked her if it would be okay uh, if we brought him in to stay with us halftime. And she agreed, maybe reluctantly, but agreed. Uh, and th- th- the rest is history. We brought him in and it was, it was damn hard, especially at first. Damn hard. I mean, it's long before TikTok, right? He's living in the house and um, we didn't have any tricks of the trade. I didn't know how to deal with them. Um, you know, and it's your father. It's not really a patient. So the way you approach things with them is a lot different than you might a patient or a, a caregiver like dad, you have to take a shower. I'm not taking a shower. I took a shower this morning. You know, a caregiver that uh, is just detached is going to be able to, um, you know, use the, the tricks and, and manipulate or redirect him or whatever they, whatever it is they've learned in their career in order to, to get done what they've got to get done. But as a son, it's a totally different ballgame. I've got a history of interaction with this man dating back my entire existence, right? And you have patterns that you fall into, patterns of communication. And we were a louder family that, you know, put things out there and we were verbal. And um, we still are verbal. If you can watch from our TikToks, we're not quiet. Um, and, it, you know, there's a lot of talking going on. So at first, you know, I'm trying to, 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 to reason with them and use logic and, and explain things to him. Well, that doesn't work so well with someone with dementia. So, you know, you break down to some of your old, you know, interactive patterns, dad, you're taking a damn shower, you know, that, and then he falls into his old patterns and it was very difficult at first. And I've learned now um, how to get around that. And I, and I do use my son, his, you know, my relationship with them to my benefit. For instance, now with the shower, I don't argue with them or try and convince him of anything, my go-to, and it works almost 100% of the time, is dad, listen, I have to, for me, I have to give you a shower, and I, your son, can't relax. I can't enjoy myself. I can't relax until you get this done. Will you do it for me? And almost 100% of the time, all right, I'll do it for you, but I'm not, I don't need one. I'm just doing it for you. And lo and behold, you know, instead of a half an hour argument, he, he takes a shower and 10 minutes later we're done and he's happy. So um, it, it is, uh, it's quite different. And it, it, it you know, being that being the son, than just a, someone who comes in and takes care of him for eight hours or 10 hours. So back up a little bit. So you and Mark unilaterally decided, okay, we're, we're going to step up. We're going to do this. What was the reaction from your other siblings at the point? Cause there's five of you. Am I right? Five. I have five siblings. So okay. So my, my oldest brother is, you know, about 10 years older than me to my youngest brother. My dad had his fifties. He was about 38 or 39 years old now. So a wide range and, and obviously at different stages of their lives, my younger brother has small, small children and now, you know, infant, right. he's not going to be able to, it's just not practical for him yeah. to deal with it. So he's dealing with his own issues. My oldest brother um, is further away. He's a few hours away. I have another brother who's a few hours away. They're not, they're watching, but not as connected going, you know, they're going on with their lives like you would expect. So it really fell on Mark and I, you know, the other siblings were incredibly supportive and probably saying, you know, it's okay. You know, if you want to put them in a home, we'll, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, and they've do they been feel guilt at all. Do they ever feel guilt? Like we feel really bad that we are far away or we have so much other stuff that we can't help you with this. Do they see all I these think- TikToks like, I wish I could help. 
Or are they relieved? Uh, I mean, honestly. <laughs> I think they, I think sure, right? Uh, sure, they back, but, you know, it, it, we have to be practical. I, you know, sure, I'm through there thinking, gosh, you know, he's doing a lot. And, but they're, they're caught up in their own lives. Right. Um, 10 years ago, I couldn't have done this. I would have had to go about my own life and watch from afar, just like they are. So, you know, my siblings, especially, you know, they, they do what they can. They're, it's not, they're obviously, they're not in a position to do what Mark and I are doing. Um, maybe they, you know, they're, they look and they, they know that we have the option not to do it. They know that it's our choice. So, um, but yeah, I'm sure there's a little bit of guilt in there. My sister, um, you know, she's, she takes, spends a lot of time with my mom. Um, so she, you know, she helps out that way. Um, it's just Mark and I are specifically or specially equipped to deal with my dad and his issues, I think. And, uh, you know, we have the temperament right now to deal with it. My dad's not easy, not easy, but the rest of my siblings kick in and they help whenever they can. There's really no thank, thankfully no animosity or, or, you know, anything going on between the siblings. We get together a lot. Uh, we talk on the phone all the time. Um, so all for us, it's worked out fairly well. And and no, there's not, you know, any outward jealousy or right. anything, you know, like that. So you're an attorney. You're still practicing, yeah. correct? Yeah, I practiced about half done. Okay. Not so... because of that. I, I, I started winding that down after I had a heart attack in 2019. And I had to oh, reduce wow. the stress in my life. And that led to an, a great impact on my on my workload, which enables me to do what I'm doing right now. So it kind of all worked out um, in a way that, you know, that made this possible. Did it really though? <laughs> Did it? Because think about, it, I mean, you're, you took on less work, but now you've got your father and all of this going on. I mean, do you really feel less stressed? Is it something, I mean, it's luckily a- you have Mark as a backup. You've got your wife, obviously you couldn't do half of what you do without her, because I know like if you go to work, she's there and stuff like that. But I mean, just, you know, honestly, from, from a viewpoint, are you less stressed? Um, it is a very different kind of stress dealing with my dad. My dad is an immediate stress. You know, he comes to yeah. the door, I'm hungry or, um, you know, where's my brother. I have to deal with that on an immediate basis. And in that moment, it's sure stressful works a very different kind of stress, especially what I do, you know, criminal law. I, I, I carry things around with me in my head all day long from work. And they they can stay with me, you know, long after when I lay my head down to bed. You know, it, it, my the stress with my dad. If I hear him get up, I have to listen to make sure he goes back to bed and not out to the kitchen. Um, it's exactly but, like having a child. It's it is very similar, like have to, like having a child. Um, you know, just a more complex child. But with work, the stress is very different, and it lingers. And and there is a you know a payoff with my dad's an immediate payoff with him whatever task that I'm dealing with that might be stressful, if I can bring, you know, some kind of conclusion to that or ease my dad's mind, there's an immediate, you know, relief right there. That episode's over and I can relax. Work, not so much. You know, if I have a hearing in three weeks and somebody's going to, you know, is facing six, anywhere from two to six years in jail, depending on what I say in that hearing, that stress stays with you. At least for me, it stays with me, you know, so um, it's a different kind of stress. I, I, I do not believe that my the, the stress I'm, I undergo with my dad is nearly as debilitating as other kinds of stress, like, you know, I, you know, work stress, relationship stress, those things that kind of linger with you are very different um, than, than what I experienced with my dad. Right. Have you ever seen Tipa Snow on TikTok? 
the tipa snow is excellent i mean yeah. for people that want to, to learn the tricks of the trade there's and there's also another blight care on tiktok these people are professional they are awesome they have all the tricks that work along a broad range you know dementia is very different between people all across the spectrum right, right? and they have expertise in the broad you know the broad thing of, of dementia whether it be alzheimer's Lewy body um, vascular i mean they know the differences they know the tricks they are professionals at what they do I consider myself an expert in my dad's little narrow piece of, of whatever he's got. That's what I've become an expert in. And I'm, and I can deal with my dad because I have a history and a past. Um, and I think, you know, other people can learn from that, you know, just maybe the, the patience and the, the perseverance of, of just going on and, you know, falling off the bike and getting back up. But clearly we're, we're not, we're nothing um, like Tipa snow um, who is, you know, really, the gold standard of, you know, if you want to learn, that's where you go. Um, we're more of a, you know, more of a, maybe what it's like taking care of your own parents or a little bit of, you know, right. I call it family care or, you know, I don't really consider myself a caregiver, Marion. I consider my, I just taking care of my dad. That's the way I would describe it. You know, caregiver, we get that title with TikTok, but I mean, before TikTok, I don't think I ever referred to myself as a caregiver. Have you, um, have you thought about what happens after your father passes away? Like how is, how quiet your house is going to be and how uh, different, I mean, cause obviously you won't just go back to the way your life was before, because, you know, 10, 20 years later, what, however much longer your father has, um, has definitely changed your way of life now. You know, at some point, do you think like, I just won't know what to do with myself. Um, it's kind of the same, you know, struggle that we're dealing with our kids moving out, right? We, we went from an extremely busy um, family unit, driving kids to soccer, mm -hmm. so busy, you know, you can never sit down at the dinner table. Half the time the family's off, you know, you know someone's driving someone to a soccer tournament somewhere, someone's off at a football game or a wrestling match. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. We, we were dealing with that right when my dad, popped in so he has kind of alleviated that so probably there'll be you know some kind of uh you know let down <laughs> of like you know there's what's left in life um and i've never had to deal with the loss of either parent so that sadness and that grief um i do not look forward to the day um that losing either my mom or my dad sure. or any you know sibling anything like that um but i i i just i don't I haven't had, I don't have time to give it any thought. I mean, maybe I'll jump back into work more. I don't really know what I will do when he passes. We know we've also built up a social media platform. Maybe we can use that for some kind of good. I don't know what the future brings. I just know that it's very different um, than, it, than it would have been had I never taken my dad on. Tell me about TikTok a little bit more. I, I mean, I am, I know you have 1.2 million followers. I am nowhere, anywhere near you. I have like 4,000. <laughs> so I'm curious as to how, how you guys got involved with TikTok as far as like including your father on that. Like, you know, one day you woke up, you heard about TikTok and you're like, hey, let's put dad on this or did it devolve into that? And how big of a part obviously in your life does that play? Um, well, that's great, great question. And I will tell you that TikTok for me started long before my dad moved in. It started during COVID when we, when I came, you know, finished my heart attack uh, year, 
That was 2019. Heart attack was early in the year. I was walking every day, walking up to 20 miles, and then kind of just going to mm-hmm. try and get back into life the next year. Yeah, I tried. I tried to. I changed my lifestyle, exercise, and I did not want to go back to that point. In addition to reducing my work stress, and then I was going to kind of move back in in 2020, and lo and behold, we get COVID, and um, of course, having a heart attack, and, and my my secretary also is recently had a heart attack and she has other, you know, COVID, COVID um, morbidities or, you know, COVID issues. So we took COVID extremely seriously. Um, I did, you know, and, and also she, you know, she's not, she's not my, my secretary does not like, even when vaccines came out, she's an anti-vaxxer. So I had to maintain a very vigilant um, COVID protocol just to, to, to protect myself, and protect her, my son who is so, uh, COVID kind of took over 2020, and, and so because I was not going to expose my my secretary, she stayed in the office. We kept the office open. Just basically, she was just in there alone, doing pretty much nothing for many months while everything shut down. And I was doing TikTok during this period from my house and putting my poems on there. And I, I really started just to chronicle my life. And if you look way back at the very first postings, you can see they're mostly me filming the animals. They're filming, you know, a couple poems. I'm we're out in the backyard during COVID break. I'm filming my wife doing yard work and throwing balls and, you know, just having fun with, with the, the videos. And then a few months into to 2020, I think we, my dad, we picked him up like in April, March, or April, May, something in that neighborhood. And, um, when he moved in, he just became part of um, my TikTok. So you'd see some of them would include my dad. There's still this very same kind of, you know, videos, just whatever I was doing, it chronicled my family during that period. And then one day, lo and behold, um, we, I, I took a TikTok. My dad was, was miss me, six months into it. Um, we were not, did not, had not blown up yet. I might add like followers similar to yours at that point, you know, four or 5,000 people. And that was pretty much our TikTok existence. And then came the one video and it was my dad, you know, trying to drive away in my car. He had my, he had one a key, wrong key. He was in a, you know, a different car with a key that didn't work, but he's in there in the driver's seat and I walk out and I lose it in the video, you know, very very frustrating situation you know when he's going to drive away it's extremely dangerous and we had a lot of history with the car that i won't bore you with but let me just tell you you know the car was the hardest part and he would take the car out until we finally got rid of it he would find the car take it out and drive it with no license no insurance you know advanced dementia didn't know where he's going we'd have to be driving around looking for him have the police looking it was a nightmare so when i flip out in that video it went viral people like that on tiktok they like the controversy and that and i gave it to them you know with with everything you could want full plate of controversy and i'm out there and that blew that that channel up a bit and we started to get more and more people uh and the comments went crazy and it kind of and i posted a video about that explaining it and you know a couple more videos of my dad he just kept gaining in popularity and every time I'd put a video of my dad up, it would go viral. So he slowly became more and more of my TikTok. You give people what they want, right? And he slowly became more and more of my TikTok channel. And for whatever reason, he caught on. I mean, you know, today I have 1.2 million followers. I don't, I don't get recognized often walking around, you know, Safeway. But if I'm walking around with my dad, you know, it, it, it's my dad has some kind of appeal 
to people that none of us really even understand to this day. But for whatever reason, he he's the one who blew up that channel. And I've just been along for the ride and, you know, trying to be the editor and poster. I became more of a more of a uh, more of a cameraman uh, than, um, you know, than a, than a creator. And then then I tried to slowly integrate myself back into it. And now the channel is basically about my interactions with my dad and the rest of my family. Still about you know, he's about seventy five percent of the the, the postings today. You become Ed's co anchor. <laughs> yeah, well, Ed, he's the star. I'm the you know whatever. I'm behind the scenes. You know, I'm the enabler. I'm the you know whatever Abbott to the I don't know which one it was, but I, I'm the I'm the straight guy and he's the star. So how much of that kinda... do you think he actually understands? Like how big of an impact he's making on people's lives of giving people the, you know, just the courage to, to take on their, their family members when they're in crisis like this and when they need their families or just even, you know, when people just need a smile, how much, you know, how much of TikTok do you think he really understands? Um, He, my dad does not understand TikTok. He under he knows that he's being, yeah, he knows he's going out to people and he's, you know, he sees our zoom every day. We have a zoom here with people on, I mean, he knows yeah. he's become more familiar, even in his, with his disease, with, so with the idea of, you know, people being there on a camera or on a, on an iPad or, a, you know, a, an Apple pad that he's being broadcast out. And if you notice in many of the videos, you know, he can see himself in the, in the phone, if I'm showing it to him, just like I can see myself right now. Right. And my dad knows that he's being videotaped. He just doesn't understand TikTok or Facebook, but he knows that he's going out to family and strangers. And if you'll notice, my dad is quite the ham uh, on camera often, you know, the, the videos where he's in good spirits, um, you know, he knows he's being photographed and he is to an extent performing um, when, when he knows that he's on camera, to, whatever that means to him, I don't know what he's thinking in his head, but he knows he's going out to somewhere and he gets a smile on his face, and I I know he enjoys it. Um, and there's some of the TikToks where, you know, I'm 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 putting him on. This is what it's like. This is difficult in the morning. Obviously, those instances he has no idea what's going on. He's barely trying to you know figure out where he is. You know what country he's in. Much less worry about TikTok. But the fun ones where he's in great spirits. TikToks I I most enjoy are the ones where he's hamming it up. The ones that break my heart the most is when he's asking about his brother, because I just can't imagine. I mean, I have a brother that, that passed away at the age of 45 and um, sometimes I have dreams about him and I wake up and I have to, I'm a little disoriented when I wake up and I'm like, wait, was I dreaming? Is Paul still alive? Is he dead? You know, I have to kind of focus on, you know, where am I at with that? And I, obviously I can't reach out to my mom cause that would break her heart. Right. So, um, so I can relate to him on that level, as far as, you know, forgetting that your sibling has passed away. And it seems to me like every time he asks about his brother and he asks you and you're like, no, he passed away, um, that he just relives him passing away every single time. And it has to be a heartbreak each and every time. Okay, um, we only see small snippets of that. So I'm guessing that afterwards that this continues on in times that we don't see. First of all, Marianne, first of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you. How difficult and what, you know, what a tragedy to be 
someone so young. Um, and yes, that is without question, the single most difficult part of dealing with my dad is dealing with that question because you certainly, and, and we deal with that question probably more than anything else. I have my theories why, um, but how we deal with that uh, is, you know, is the subject of, of you know, people like to watch it. You know, why do you lie? Why don't you lie to him? Say he's on vacation, he's on a date or what have you. And some people just tell him the truth. There's, there's different theories on what to do. My theory is always just to ease his mind however I can. Truth, lie, I don't care. As long as he, oh, okay, and he relaxes and he can go away. That's always my objective. However I get there. Um, and and by the way, we, we've tried every single answer over the thousands of times he's asked that question. And we kind of default back to whatever has worked in the past. And, you know, we just just in my dad's situation, it, it's very difficult to be truthful with him because, you know, or, or, to, or to lie to him. Excuse me. Very difficult for us to lie to him and say he's you know on vacation, what have you, because he's very persistent. I want his number. I want to call him now and he won't stop. And even if we can push him off for two minutes, he comes right back. Where's my brother, Bill? And once we tell him, Dad, he's passed, so that somehow seems to get him beyond it. And I have a theory. Uh, my dad always um, he's always seems to be concerned with Mark, Josh and Uncle Bill. Um, and my theory is Josh is his youngest. So, you know, I think he thinks that he's still young, doesn't really realize that he's, you know, has a great job and has a family and, you know, lives on in a, in a nice house on, on a, with, with a big yard, you know, big five acres. My, he's doing fine. My dad doesn't realize that. Mark, uh, Mark was in a mudslide when he was like 18 or 19 years old, a long time ago, but he was within an inch of his life. And my dad had oh. to go through dealing with, you know, his recovery, thank God he recovered a hundred percent, you know, other than some scars, but I mean, he was literally carried by mud for five miles from the grapevine on highway five in California and just lucky to be alive. So I think my dad has that and he's always, you know, kind of looked out for Mark. And then I think he knows in the end that his brother passed because he has a sister that's alive that he doesn't bring up all the time. And it's those three people that are the most consistently brought up in my dad's life. And I think it's because at some point he had the, this gigantic worry about those people. And that's why those names keep coming up. So when my dad comes and he's asking for Uncle Bill, I think he knows that something's wrong with him. So when we try and push him off and say, you know, dad, he's, he's, he's you know, on vacation, he's wherever, he's with his kids, he's at dinner. He's very persistent because he knows something's wrong and he wants to find out. And with Mark, it's the same thing. Dad, I talked to him five minutes ago. Well, I didn't. I want to make sure he has something to eat. Those three people. And that's my theory is because those people he's worried about so much in his life. And, you know, my oldest brother is a doctor. He's not so much worried about him. My sister, who married a, a very successful lawyer, he's not so much worried about her. I'm a lawyer in his head, so he's not so much worried about me. That that's that that's my theory anyway. And you know, again, that makes sense. I I believe I'm the expert on my dad. You know, not I can't explain anybody else's why they would, but for my dad, that's my theory. Well, I think tragedy, whether it's like you said, you know, the youngest child and and whatever, not necessarily tragedy, but I mean, let's just say for you know shits and giggles let's tragedy you know imprints on our brains and it's hard to get past that sometimes i think that's why people don't recover from deaths of their uh spouses or their siblings sometimes parents never 
really recover from the death of a child, you know, stuff like that, that all imprints on us and different than different than joy and happiness. I think joy and happiness is short lived and we move on. That's why people, you know, that's why we gravitate towards the news of tragedies of things going on in the world that are horrible instead of dwelling on the good stuff. Yeah. And you know, that brings some happiness. But... Yeah, I, I agree. You know, the, the, the negative is, and it works in politics. The negative message used to be stronger than the positive message. And I think it's some, because it's emotion, it's rooted in a really strong emotion. And I, I think my dad definitely feels it and worry. You know, for my youngest brother, I think it's more worry. He thinks he's a young person and in need of help. So, and my dad is also a fixer. He's also in all has always been the That's person. An That's an Aries March 23rd thing. <laughs> there you go. See, you're probably a fixer too. She, yeah. you know, he, he always wants to be there to help if somebody needs help. So all those things together and that that's his focus. That's my theory on, on, on my dad and Bill, but you know, to, to the broader question, your original question, it's incredibly difficult to watch him just have to address the death of his brother every day. It's very tough for sure. So since Ed's not there, I can ask this question. I asked Danielle one time in chat or in um, on one of the posts. Um, she always tells Ed, your phone's at Mark's. And I'm thinking that there's not really a phone. Okay, great question. So uh, for anyone who watches that, this, I'm going to answer that question. So my dad had a phone up until about six months ago. And it was our our idea. We wanted to, to give him that. You know, it was a security device for him. Okay. And we love the fact that he had it no matter you know, especially before he, you know, he was necessary before he moved in with Mark. But so he had that phone up until about six months ago. The problem is the phone, it became more and more difficult for him to use it. We had no passwords on it, but he, and we only, we limited to just the, the numbers of his children and that's all he could, could dial. But it, it became such a nightmare. He would have the phone and he would dial one of his kids, you know, say he dialed Josh. Well, He'd dial him and maybe Josh would pick up the phone. Go, oh, you know, whatever's going on. I'm driving home, dad. I'm, I got, I got, or I'm taking my kid to baseball practice, what have you. All right. All right. Bye. And then of course, you know, two minutes later, my dad would forget and he'd call him again. And maybe Josh would let the phone go to voicemail that time. Cause he knows that I just talked to him two minutes ago and then you get to voicemail and it's, you know, Oh, this is Josh. I can't answer the phone right now. And my dad, you can't hear very well. Josh, Josh. You know, he's yelling at, at yelling at it. What? Well, God damn it. You know, he's putting the thing down, then he calls back and keeps calling back because he's so and it became so encompassing. And then it would happen with every one of the kids. And, you know, by the by the end of the day, by the time, you know, dinner comes around, everybody has blocked him for that day. I mean, they just simply do because nobody can take the ring of the phone, you know, 15 times in 45 minutes. It just becomes too overwhelming for them. So it's just this continuous loop of having my dad yelling at the, at the voice machines. And then once one day he lost his phone and we, we, we went out and looked for it, couldn't find it, got him a replacement phone and got that set up, got him back to the replacement phone. We'd experienced a couple of days with no phone. And then when we got on the replacement phone, it, of course, started all over again. And it was a different version than the other phone. And the confusion was just there. He, you know, he didn't even know how to use it. But the whole thing started again. Then he lost that phone. And, this is we're hard. Like, wow. and then we found the original phone. We still haven't found the second phone, Gosh. but we found the original phone. So he has a phone that we could. But we realized it's just much easier to, to say your phone's at Mark's. And it gave him no utility anymore. 
because there was it wasn't reaching anybody. So does know, Mark was, hear that though? What's that? Does Mark does Mark tell him his phone's at your place? Mark will tell him your phone's in the shop or oh. what, what any anything. We just say it, Mark's Mark. Mark yeah. We'll say whatever. Maybe we'll say Dan's or it's at the shop or what have you. What whatever's easiest. You know, you can't tell him. Sorry, Dad, you, you can't. You, you no longer, you know, have the skills to use a phone. You can't right. tell him. So you can't be truthful about that or he's going to fight you. So we just say it's somewhere else. My mom was our caregiver for our family and she took care of my grandparent, my grandfathers. Uh, they both passed away shortly before I was born. So I never really met them. My grandmother got remarried. My mom's mom got remarried. They moved to Jacksonville, Florida, where um, I grew up initially and she took care of Vince uh, for a long period of time. And then uh, my grandmother as well, she took care of her father before he passed. So, and my mom was a nurse. She, she grew up in a senior home. I mean, she worked in a senior home my whole entire life growing up and wow. I've always been in seniors rooms, you know, we'd go pick her up and, and they'd have to pull me out of rooms. I'd be in there reading to them or talking to them. So I've always been around seniors my entire life. And, um, I remember my grandmother being probably close to 90 and I remember she left and she's like, I'm going, she eventually moved in with us. They had, they bought a house that they were able to convert a breezeway into an in-law suite. And I mean, a, and a full apartment. I mean, it was really nice. And, um, she left and she goes, you know, I'm going to go down to McDonald's. And I was like, okay, well, I left like 15 minutes later and found her still driving like two blocks away. And I remember like, normally I'd be like, Hong Kong wave, you know, but I was like, nope, not going to scare her. Just going to keep on going. But I remember mentioning it to my mom. I was like, y'all really need to start looking at her driving because, you know, she should have been way down the road 15 minutes later. And here she was just a couple of blocks. So I'm not sure what's going on with that. So I remember them taking away her car and um, I remember her just having this really sense of loss of it's not just losing a car. Like, you know, you're saying that he's always involved with, uh, you know, asking like, I know in the videos, where's my car? Is this my car? You know, get out, you know, this is my car. Get, you know, I want to drive stuff like that. And to them, it's not just like, Oh, it's a physical thing. It's, it's an emotional attachment of, I get to go somewhere and be independent. And now you're keeping me from doing that. And I, like I said, there, there's many things that come up with, with your dad's situation and you all, and that's why I reached out to you um, because I could relate to so much of this. Cause you know, like I said, I lived with my grandmother growing up for the most part, you know, she was, I was probably sixth grade when my parents bought that house and converted it into an in-law suite. And so just the, you know, the sense of loss when it comes to independence and, you know, I, the things I hear from your dad or, you know, like, where's my brother? Um, where's my phone? Where's my checkbook? Where's my car? There, there are things that, that he holds very true to him and very, and are important things to him. And freedom. That, that's and they're freedom. gone and they're gone. And so, um, they usually when I watch your videos, I'm near tears just because I see, you know, like I said, I, it's, it's a struggle, um, trying to maintain family balance and keep him happy and, and keep some sensibility of, of yourself and some independence of, of you guys. Thank God for, for you and Mark having that relationship of being able to swap him out and, and spend time with both of you because family members that have, um, 
their loved ones 100% of the time and no backup. You know, they often don't know to reach out to organizations in their community for help and stuff like that. They think it's just me. This is my responsibility. And I'm going to be doing this until my loved one passes away. And um, I recently interviewed somebody who had become her caregiver with her father. Her mother was still there though. Um, and she was just like, I'm at the point now. I'm like, I don't know what now, you know, I don't know. Very educated background in uh, academia, but she's like, I just don't know what I'm going to do now. And so she's trying to figure out her way. And that's why I asked earlier, like, you know, have you thought about, you know, when, when Ed does pass away at some point and, you know, hopefully it's 10, 20 years down the road, he'll, he'll be the one person that lives to be a hundred and, and 10 years old. And, um, but you know, it's like, do you guys have dreams of, of travel or, or different stuff like that? Do you wish that there were things that you could do more of that you don't do now because of the situation? Um, great question. Um, I, I do not feel limited in that, um, I've lived, I, I've lived, you know, I choose, I, I did what I wanted to do for most of my life. Um, you know, probably I, I wish I could, could take that back and have had a little more responsibility when my children were small. Um, so do I, you know, kind of fear of missing out or I, I don't feel like he's a, like he's trapping me in that way. I mean, maybe like for a, a vacation, if I want to go to Cabo with my wife for a week, it, it's not as easy. Maybe we have to go for four days as opposed to a week. Um, but I don't, as of now, I don't feel that. And, um, I'm fortunate in that sense that, you know, I've kind of, I'm, I, like I said, I had the heart attack. I'm on, you know, relaxing. I like, I, I'm family's more important to me now. I've, I've kind of reached that. I've faced my mortality and you kind of realize what's super important and what's not so much important. So I don't have that, um, burden over me. Like, you know, I'm not waiting for him to be gone so that I can, pick up the rest of my life. I, I did write a poem once about having, when I had my kids and I, and the, the kind of the theme of the poem was, all right, now my life's on hold for 18 years. Um, and then I can get back to my hedonistic ways or whatever it was. Well, you know, you know that 18 years later, when you're, when you're, your last kid is, is becoming an adult, you don't have no desire to go back to that pre-child life. You know, you're, you're more interested on the next chapter, what's going forward. I can't wait for grandkids. I can't wait to see what my kids do. So, I, I look at it like that. Um, I, I know that there'll be a, an element of sadness, but no, I, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. You know, I, I don't know how long he's going to be with us, but I, whatever it is, I feel like I'm living my life right now. I feel this is life for me. You know, I don't need to have you know, the artificialness of a Las Vegas or, you know, traveling. It's great and all and fun, but I believe I'm living real life every day when I get up and deal with my dads and my kids, my wife and real issues. So, um, and by the way, um, just to, to, re, to, to comment on something that you were saying earlier, your mom sounds like a really an amazing lady. Thanks yes. so much for her service as a nurse, all those years and working with elderly people. And I will share with you. Um, and, and that, that kind of got you interested in, in reaching out. When I was a child, my mom worked as an ombudsman in nursing care centers. So we would go around and, you know, she, it was her job to protect these people. So she would follow up on complaints and she would drag me along when I was a young boy, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12, 13 years old to some of these places. And I do believe that that has an impact on me today. Yeah. One of the reasons I'm very adamant against putting my dad in a care home, because I was there too. And you saw it, you were there. 
we have a similarity in that way. And, uh, and both of our mothers have exposed us to that. And I think that's a great thing. And I think that kind of leads to the empathy that you're, that you're showing right now during the course of this interview. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank your mom. Thank you. I'll let her know that I'll have her watch this video, <laughs> but it was, it was funny because I, it taught me to, to not fear seniors, I think is the biggest part. You know, like if you're a young child and you're walking through a hall of a senior home and you've got patients sitting in their doorway and they're in their little walker things or, or a chair out there in the hallways. And they're like, hi, little girl, you know? And, and if, if at first, you know, I'd be like, this old dad's talking to me, you know? And then I just kind of, um, leaned into it and was started, you know, like these are human beings and they just, they've been through hell and back usually, especially. So, um, like I said, this was back in the late seventies, early eighties. Right. So, um, okay. No, probably mid seventies. Like I was probably six or seven when I started going there. And so not being scared of these people and listening to their stories and actively listening to what they had to say, um, and then years later, when, um, when my husband and I were headed towards divorce, um, people were like, you know, what are you going to do? And the thing that came to mind the most was, well, you know, the job that I love the most that I have had up until then was I was a Hewlett Packard rep. And so I loved the way technology was going. I loved the gadgets. I don't like building, you know, I, I can't build a computer if you, if, if you, my life depended on it. Um, but end user stuff, software, TikTok, you know, Microsoft, stuff like that, end user stuff. And I started using technology and then I used that knowledge to teach seniors how to use technology. And people are like, you must have the patience of a saint. And I'm like, it's very found when it comes to seniors. Um, and that's something that, that, you know, that you either lose your temper and, and you have. I have, we all have, you know, but you, but how fast you recover from that and where you take that and, and lean into that and say, you know, I understand that you're frustrated, dad, you know, let, let's find a solution that makes both of us happy with this as far as like, you know, his car and stuff like that. But, um, but I used, like I said, my knowledge for, for technology and, and that love for seniors. My brother, for instance, he was in the Navy for 10 years, and then he was a supervisor at a nuclear power plant for um, many years after that. Um, and now he's retired. And from um, he goes around to like the senior home um, where he's at in Florida and, and plays the piano for, for seniors um, so they can enjoy it. So it's just kind of embedded in our blood, apparently. And that's kind of where we've taken it. And then when I developed the hip senior, it was like, how do I find a way to take, you know, teaching them, it's uh, teaching seniors how to be using technology is all fun and games until they get scammed. And then, so it's always been my main focus in that is how do I teach them to use technology, but still stay safe? How do you protect? Yeah. You know, um, keeping them from answering and sending, sending their credit card numbers and, and answering questions that gives away too much of their information about them. 
um, has always just been top of the priority. And then when you're talking about when 2020 came around with, you know, with COVID, I was like, I couldn't be in senior homes. I couldn't be in their home, out in their homes, you know, working with them. How do I create, you know, so I created Zoom help rooms and people were like, you can't teach seniors how to use tech long distance. So well, my mom's in Florida. She has a laptop. She has a cell phone or smartphone. She has a Kindle. She has a desktop. You know, she's got all the things and she learned from me being in Ohio. So yeah, it's possible. They just have to want to learn is the problem with that. And, um, and so the hip senior came about simply because I needed a way to be able to still get the word out there about being safe and bringing businesses together, um, that had the heart and the soul to serve seniors to do that, as well as being able to connect through the podcast with people like you, Dan, um, of people telling their stories or seniors that want to, you know, I don't care if a senior said, Hey, I've got a great joke. I want to tell people. Absolutely. Come on my podcast. Let's tell jokes, you know, what, whatever you want to do. So that's kind of how that all wrapped up into, to the hip senior. And, um, I was working for Google last year and I got laid off with the rest of the tech world going on right now. And I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to start, you know, focusing on strictly on the hip senior and, and having faith that the universe, you know, will, will bring people into my lives um, life like you that are willing to open up and, and tell your story. Because like I said, there's a lot of caregivers out there that just, you know, on a day-to-day basis struggle to find that inspiration to have the patience and the kindness and the loving and know that they're doing the right things. You've said so much there in that, in that, in that, I (laughs) I will tell you, I mean, a couple of things hit, but first of all, get this out. Um, I met William Hewlett that, that you, you were for Hewlett Packard. That was a neat day in my life. And second of all, wait, wait, back know, up. What? I met William Hewlett when I was a young boy. Um, I, I grew I don't up. I know in, who that is. Well, you worked for Hewlett Packard. Oh, Hewlett. Yeah. Hewlett was the person with, with David uh-huh. Packard. Yeah. Started Hewlett Packard. And, uh, uh, down my, my best friend at the time, Dave Nelson, his father worked for, was high up with Hewlett Packard was back in the seventies. So, you know, it wasn't Hewlett Packard today, but there, they had a party and David's mother made a point to bring me and introduce me to this man who I didn't think a damn thing of it at the time. It was William Hewlett shook his hand and went on about my business. And then, you know, only 10, 15 years later did I realize how cool that was. Oh my but, God. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be so, so cool. I've, I've met I've met him, but more importantly, what you you, you said something that's really important, um, and that is people when people look at people uh, in a in a nursing care center or you know even you can look at your own parent and you kind of lose the the track or lose sight of the fact that they were at some point a, a vibrant young thriving person with so much life and life experience. Uh, that, you know, it's hard to remember that. And I, I actually wrote a poem about that, um, about my dad. You know, I said, you know, you see me today and here I am and I may, you know, I don't have any hair and I'm confused. I may ask the same questions, but at one time, and I go into the poem, say, you know, I was the doctor. And when I walked in the room, people stood at attention. People listened to what I had to say. They sought out my advice. You know, I was somebody different. I was a real person at some time. And, you know, I'm still that person. And that is a critical uh, thing I think is, gets lost so easily. You know, we see, and I think you can see it even by a, a great a way to look at it. Look at, you know, some of these movie stars like, uh, um, who was it? Uh, uh, 
you know, the, the, when they get old, like, uh, you know, Moses, uh, uh, Charlton Heston. And if you look at him, you know, in, in, in some of his early roles in the 40s and 50s and then look at him in the 80s, he's just a shell of the same person. It's hard to see, you know, but we know because there it is, you know, for, for on the screen. We know what that person was. Well, when you look at someone in a, in a, in a care center, you'd, you'd have no idea. They're just this old, shriveled up, quiet person that, you know, that has a foul odor and you you don't. You don't put it together. That might have been, you know, next to somebody in World War II saved, you know, 10 lives or, you know, charged a hill and you know, to, to save their, their their comrades. Or maybe that was a surgeon that saved thousands of lives during the course of his career. Maybe that was a great poet or an art. You know, it's just it's unfortunate that Ronald we Reagan had Alzheimer's, didn't he? Yes, he did. So, you know, yeah. it could be Ronald Reagan sitting in a. In, in a memory care center or something like that you know you're absolutely that, that, right that's right and and you and you know you wouldn't you wouldn't realize and i've seen some you know some some pictures of you know some some of these old people who maybe have, have gone out of the public eye and then when you catch them later you know people have just forgotten about them and written them off and it's and that's all too common with old people one thing i do with my dad is if you notice one thing he is part of the family he's still the fa- my father and his past he lives it every day. He's reminded he's a doctor. We, you know, we talk about what he did and people I, on my lives and we get on, I always encourage to call him Dr. Salinger. That's what he really, you know, is going to get his attention. He, it reminds him of when he was something, you know, as, as opposed to now de- when he was the provider, as opposed to being dependent. Uh, and, and, you know, that's what he, you know, that, that he, he, he thrived on being a provider. So um, he still gives a- medical advice, right? I see him. He, Still talking about your your weight. I see him talking about different health things and and offering advice. He's still there. Dan, I don't like seeing you drink beer. I mean, he's 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 my father. You know, he still is definitely my father. If I ate, you know, if I even though he, you know, he he could put down a pie by himself. If he saw me take a second slice, you know, he's going to say something. He, He that's just the way he is. And you know, for us. You know, he is the way he is now, and with his age, and uh, but we don't see him solely as an old man right now. I see him as the person who raised me, and you know, for good and bad. You know, both the good and bad. While I was growing up, he's still that person to me, and I wish that everybody could see, you know, seniors and realize that there's a whole life behind. You're just seeing the, you know, the very end in the saddest part, really, of their life, and you know, there's so much more to people and humanity than just you know, the fragile person at the end. I think a lot of the reasons people aren't connecting with their grandparents in that aspect is that we used to, you know, live in the same towns or in the same homes as our grandparents as a, as a family unit. And now that there's plane trains, automobiles that take people away and, you know, people are living in different countries, different States and stuff. They don't have that immediate connection with their grandparents as much as they used to. And I so I think they're the younger crowds aren't connecting with older people as much for that reason is, is because they don't have that family interaction with them as much. Um, I think the one good thing that COVID gave us was the, I know when I go out to senior homes and I talk about senior online safety, um, the one questions that I'm asking people are like, Hey, if you're going to take a class, like, would you be open to taking it online? And what would you want to learn? And that used to be how to text my grandchildren photos or how to text with my grandchildren, how to get on zoom, how to upload pictures to Facebook. 
now it's questions like VPNs and, and, and stuff like that. The, the story has changed because of COVID. It forced them to have technology in their hands and to learn at a very fast rate how to connect with their doctors, how to grocery shop, how to get stuff on Amazon and, and, and travel online, you know, virtual stuff. But um, the other good part about that was like, hey, let's connect, whether it's Snapchat or whether it's, you know, Facebook Messenger or or however it is to our grandchildren and, and say, hey, you know, I want to get to know you better. And I think more of that's happening, but I think it's sad that they don't have that one-on-one interaction with their grandparents anymore um, as much as they, as children used to. And that's um, simply because like I said, most of them are, you know, in different States people move and they get jobs elsewhere or want the adventure and they land somewhere else, or they stay where they went to college, you know? And um, I think that's a shame because they are definitely missing out on a lot of, what their past history was with their family. And, um, and that makes me sad to think, cause I know what my past history is, but I don't know what my dad's past history is. My mom, my grandmother was always hush hush about stuff. So I know more about one side of my family than the other. Um, but I also lived with that. Um, grandmother also. So what you're doing, I mean, that hopefully you can make a dent in that by introducing technology to these people. I mean, you hit it on the head, you know, what the worst part about COVID um, I I believe for a lot of these seniors, especially the ones that weren't in homes that might've been living on their own was the isolation and your technology. I I know personally for my mom, you know, that was, it was debilitating that that isolation was, was I'm sure it's the impact. She still hasn't gotten over the impact. I went and got my mom a dog right in the middle of COVID. Literally, I went to the pound. And I got cinnamon. You might cinnamon. You see Mark Houser now, seen, but seen. I bought her a dog because, or from the pound, because I, I couldn't stand that she was alone all day long. And so that was debilitating. Technology is a great answer, and you have your, you know, you have your work cut out for you because, yeah, my dad's difficult to get him, you know, up to date with technology. And I know my dad's probably not your target, but you know, ten years ago he would have been, and Absolutely. even challenge. And at this point, Dan was running late for an appointment. We had over talked and shared and we had a great time talking about everything. So I let him go, but I wanted to personally thank Dan for being on our podcast and for being such a wonderful caregiver and part of the senior community. And we wish him all the very best. And we look forward to when he comes back on the hip senior podcast. You know, it's our goal here on The Hip Senior to bring together businesses, caregivers, and seniors, all of which have the one thing in common, the heart and the soul to serve seniors. So if you know of anybody that you would love to hear on the podcast, I would definitely love for you to shoot me a message at marianne at thehipsenior.com. I will put that down in the comment section below. And I thank everybody for listening. I hope everybody has a great day and please visit thehipsenior.com. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.